and turn to Acts chapter 9 this morning. Book of Acts chapter 9 is we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9 and verse 6 this morning. Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. Reading through verse 16. Acts chapter 9 verse 6 this morning. Acts chapter 9 verse 6. And he trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise, and go to the city, and that shall be told thee what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and brought him to Dam- into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord, in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the street, which is called Straight, and inquire the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prayeth. And have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight. When Ananias answered, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And there he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Father, we thank you again for this time. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you'd open our understanding to the truths that found in your word. Help us to know the most important truth, that you are God, that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for our sins, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I pray that each person, each, each man, each woman, each teenager, God would understand the truth that God loves us, that we're sinners and we cannot be saved without your help through salvation, through Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for this great example. One of the greatest examples in the scriptures of a man who was saved by the grace of God, who preached the grace of God, who surrendered by the grace of God. And I pray for each person in this room and God, that each person who may be listening, that each one of us will recognize that we're called. God wants us to be saved, to know him. But secondly, he wants us to serve him. That each one of us have a holy calling on our life. May we Know what that is. And secondly, not only knowing it, may we obey it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many a preacher, you may have heard said, there's a prepared place for a prepared person. There's a prepared place for a prepared person. Now, I believe this is, that's true, of course, in salvation, that God is preparing each person to be saved. I know before I was saved, that God had been working in my life uh, through many a sermon through many a prayer from a parent, from a grandmother, ultimately, thank God, to salvation on April the 15th, 1989. But that's not just true in salvation, though that is a start. It all starts with the birth. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If, you, if you're not born again, you, you, can't, you, don't, you don't go anywhere. Uh, until you start the engine, you can't go very far down the street, amen? It starts with, it starts with a, a new birth, and that begins at salvation. But salvation is, not, is, is just the beginning of the Christian life. It's the initial, very important part of the Christian life, but it, it's beyond that. It, it's, it's growth in the Christian life. 
And what we see in the Apostle Paul, as we looked at a few several weeks ago, because we had this little interim in the last couple of weeks of things and preaching, that Paul was saved on that Damascus road. This one who hated Christians, who wrought havoc, the Bible says, on the church. There was a salvation event on that road, which which he was heading towards Damascus to, to do great ill towards the church and towards Christians. But on that way, as we looked at, looked at a few weeks ago, he saw that bright light and he heard that voice, Jesus Christ, and ultimately he was saved on that day. But it didn't just start, stop with his salvation. He surrendered his life to Christ. As I mentioned in my prayer, I believe God wants each one of us to be saved. God's will that, that none should perish, not any should perish, but that all should be called, all each one should be given into the redemption of the truth and the knowledge of the truth. But not only that, each one of us are called to service in life. What, what does God want you to do with this life? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you doing for Jesus Christ? No, you say, well, you have to surrender to be a preacher or a missionary or a Sunday school teacher. No, you can be serving God as a doctor, even as a lawyer. And we need some good Christian lawyer who's not for the people, but for Jesus. That's a sermon in itself. We need good Christian folks in every area of life who will serve God and be a witness to, for God. So whatever you're doing, what if, whatever your vocation, your first calling is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And second into it is to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's for all of us. And whatever occupation you are, you are first a Christian. I am first a Christian. Secondly, I'm a husband. Third, I'm a father. Fourth, I'm a preacher. And it's exactly in that order. Because if I get that out of order, I'm going to be all messed up. And first and foremost, dear friend, you are a born-again Christian. If you've asked God to save your soul from, a, from, the, from hell, save your soul from sin, your life is different. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that was true in the life of Saul of Tarsus, and I hope and pray is true of you. The Bible says in 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our, own, our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 21, it says, If a man therefore purge himself of these things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So the question I ask you this morning, how does God shape and form us into a vessel for his service, how does God shape and form us as a vessel for his service? For First of all, by his sovereignty, by his sovereign plan. Remember, Paul asked the question, Who art thou, Lord? And Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Recall Christ's answer, Arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. There will be times in life that God will ask you to do something, and you must choose obey or disobey. That comes with salvation. 
There's a calling, a holy calling, as I mentioned, for salvation. So you, you must have faith in Christ, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there's the calling of salvation. That's a, that's a choice of faith to trust, to believe, to put all your weight, everything you have, and place it on God and believe that God is and he's real, and you want to trust in him, you want to believe in him, because he's everything. That's the beginning of it all. But, it's, it's, but again, it's more than that. It's more than that initial trust. It's them believing, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Then God, will, he, will, he will give you an opportunity to do something for him if you, if you will do it. You see, I believe one of the greatest abilities that you and I have is not a talent. It's not education. It's simply availability. Are you available? Each one of you, if you're saved this morning, God, through his word, through our circumstances, through, through people, through situations, even through creation, God will speak in his own sweet, small voice, and he will call you into a holy calling of doing something for, you, for him. For me, it was the Wilds Christian Camp in July of 1989, where I heard the preaching of Brother Jerry Savinsky. And he was saying to a bunch of about a thousand teenagers at that summer camp, will you serve me with your life? Would you be willing to do anything, go anywhere, say what I want you to say? Would you be willing to do that? And by the grace of God, on that day, I surrendered my life to Christ. Now, I was saved. I was saved before that in April. But that summer in July, I surrendered my life. Now, some people believe that's one act. I believe it's actually two. I believe there's salvation. I believe their surrender. And Paul did both. God asks the question, what would you have me to do? Paul asks the question, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord answers, arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou shalt do. What do we know about Paul? Paul would serve God greatly. He's, Jesus said about him, he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. See, God knew you while you were in your mother's womb. You said, really? The Bible says that? Listen to these verses and write them down if you'd like. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet into the nations. What is birth? You say it's science. No, it's God. God ordains you to be born. And by the way, God ordains you male and female. There is no other. Double X or YX, there is no other. Never can be, never will be. It's always the same. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5. And now saith the Lord that formed me out of, the, out of the, from the womb to be the servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet I shall be glorious in the, in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be, shall be my strength. The psalmist understood this as well in Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, and I was made in secret, curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which continuous for fashion, when as yet there was none of them. God knew you in your mother's womb. Knew you by name. Because he created you. You didn't come from a monkey or from a big explosion, dear friend. You came from the mind of God. We were created for a reason and a purpose with a holy calling. God knows what he wants to do with us and through us if we'll allow him. 
we read in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever preached in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its savor. Wherefore shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but be cast out to be trodden in the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle but put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it give light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh, dear friends, we are salt and we're light in this dark community of Gainesville. May we continue to be salt and light. We need to be salt and light. We need to be salt and light. It would be crazy if you had salt and you threw it on the ground not to be used, right? What's, what's, what's French fries without salt? Not too good. You ever get up in the middle of the night and you start, you know, you're half awake, half sleep. You're stumbling around in the darkness. All of a sudden, you, you stub your pinky toe. Woo, that pinky toe's small. But you stub that, Joker, you feel it. You just need a little bit of light to help you in darkness. You know, some of you work in darkness every day. You work in, you work, you work in darkness every day. You need to be that little light in the darkness. So when someone's going through a horror in, thy li in their life, and God often uses tragedy in, their, in people's lives to bring them to them. But if you're faithful, you don't show up drunk tomorrow morning to work or half a hangover. You actually show up on time and do a good work and, a, and a be obedient and, and live life as a Christian faithfully. Act that way. Have a good spirit about you. They look at you and say, something's different about you. You don't even need to preach Jesus, but just show up on time, have a good attitude, obey your, obey your authorities, and people will know something's different from you. You do that continual, and people look at you and say, hey, something's different about you. And when they have a problem, they'll look and say, hey, can you help me? People are looking for answers. You know what? You have it right here. You have the answer. And though you may not be able to talk to them specifically at work, maybe at a break, you can tell them later where the answer is. Oh, dear friends, we need to serve the Lord. You say, well, I, what I do is not so important. Some of you say, well, preacher, I just sing in the choir. Or, or maybe I just hand out a bulletin. Or preacher, I just, I just, I don't, I just you know, I just do the nursery. You, well, I'll tell you what, every little thing that's done in the church matters. Every little thing that's done in the church matters. You know, your cars have something, I think they still have, a kind of oil plug. Now imagine, that's just a little small thing. Imagine taking that little small part out and just say, I tell you what, when they get your oil chains down here, down the road somewhere, just leave that oil plug out and see how important it is. You'll need your new engine before long. Every person that's a part of the church is important. Even you showing up this morning is important. By you being here, you encourage others, and you encourage me by filling those seats and us corporately as a body of believers worshiping God together. Everything we do has a reason and a purpose if we do it for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it tells us, chapter 12, verse 4, Now there are diversities gift, but the same Spirit. 
But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, for as one body is and hath many members, and all the members of, the body of that one body being many, many are one body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, from the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. What is that all saying? It's saying you're needful. You're needful. And sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we get, you know, we've done the same thing over and over and over. And Paul, again, for the church at Corinth, writes these words with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, not you feel, not you think, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everything you do for Jesus Christ is for a reason and if there's purpose and it's not in vain for the Lord. The Bible says if you give a cup of cold water, and the good Lord knows this time of year we love cold water. Give a cup of water in the name of an apostle, you'll not lose your reward. How much more if we encourage these little ones? How much more if we sing in the choir? How much more if we do some other service for the Lord? You say, preacher, what can I do? Oh, dear friend, come ask me. I will tell you what you can do for Jesus. There's a plethora of things you can do. It's not what you can do. It's what you're willing to do for Jesus. Are you willing to do for Jesus? What are you willing to do for Jesus? Are you willing to serve him? See, if you're going to serve him now, there's another part of service that we don't like talking about. They're suffering. They're suffering. It says in chapter 9, verse 16, we read it, for I will show him how great things thou must, he must suffer for my namesake. Years later, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20 through 27, Paul would write, Are ye ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Labor is more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisoners more frequent, and deaths off. Of the Jews five times received I forty times save forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, one I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night of the day have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils and waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils often among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, in sung and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. Now, you get the service part. You say, preacher, I don't mind serving, but the suffering, whoo, who wants to sign up for that? If I put a little board back there in the back, I said, all who wants to suffer, sign up here. Who, was, who would sign up? I think you'd stay blank all year long, Brother Pete. I think you'd stay blank. <laughs> none, of, none of us wants to suffer, but you know, dear friend, it's a privilege to suffer. It's a privilege to suffer. You know, the apostles the apostles Peter and John, when they were his name, they counted it worthy. You see, friends, if Jesus Christ suffered and was perfect, how can we, who are so less than perfect, think we're not going to suffer for the cause of Christ? Now, that suffering may not be beatings. It might not be physical. It might be emotional. Some of you might be in a room at your office, and they're just cussing up a storm. And you have to listen to it all day long, and you want to say something. 
you might be at a certain place and people are, are, are doing something and you want to you just get in the flesh. And boy, it's easy to get in the flesh, right? You want to get something, you want to do something, you want to get in the flesh, but your Christian testimony will be blown if you, if you get in the flesh and hulk out and for five minutes, your Christian testimony, which you've had for years, will be gone. And all those times you've been asking them to come to revival and come to revival and come to revival and come to revival and come to church and come to church, they'll see you. They'll see it. There'll be times where you may be not be asked out to go out with the, the folks or with the crowd, with the group, because you're a Christian and you choose as a Christian not to drink or not to smoke or not to party like they do. And they still they call themselves Christians. Well, there's all types of Christians, folks. What are you going to do when they don't call on you? When they, call, when they don't like what you say on Facebook about Target or Bud Light? What, what are they going to do when they don't like what your, what your Instagram post about Christianity? What are they, they going to say? How are you going to react? Well, I tell you what. Those who've gone before us have suffered a whole lot more than us. Just take a look, just take a, a glimpse of the Fox's Book of Martyrs and read what men and women have done simply to have this book. Men have been beaten, have been hung, have been crucified simply to have the Word of God. Men have given their very lives and been punished and gone through sufferings beyond imagine. Just to do the things that you and I are doing today, to meet publicly, to preach his word, to tell others the gospel, to have prayer and fellowship. People gave their very lives to do the simple things we do all the time and we take it for granted. Oh, dear friends, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, all that live will live godly in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say may suffer for persecution. Say could, could, it doesn't say could suffer persecution. It says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But our trials and difficulties have a purpose. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. There's a, there's a product of that tribulation. It teaches us something. It teaches humility for sure. And all of us in this room need humility, amen? It teaches us patience. It teaches us more than maybe anything the importance of communication with God because when we go through trials and difficulties, that is the time when we speak and talk to God the most. We beg him. We beseech him. We'll even sometimes fast and pray. And for a Baptist, that's a whole lot to say. A whole lot to do, to fast a meal, fast to. Most folks haven't fasted a week ever in their entire life. But, but cancer come, what would you do? And sometimes that's the very will of God for our lives. Or the loss of a loved one or some other thing that might happen. How will we respond? Well, we know as a Christian, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know all things work together for good. And that's just, some people say, well, that, and they stop there. But you got to go on. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are call, the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Yes, we see God's sovereign plan, but I must hasten. We see Paul's strong preaching. The Bible says in chapter 9, verse 20 through 22, it's straight where he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God, that all heard him were amazed and said, Is this not him that destroyeth them which calleth on the name of Jerusalem? And came hither for him that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But such Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. This one who was persecuting the prophets is now persecuting the Christians and making havoc of the church is now preaching Christ. Woo! He was unpopular. Just like the Sanchez, if he walked down Disney yesterday, he'd been pretty unpopular. Oh, Paul was unpopular. He went being from a persecutor of the church to the preacher of the gospel. But his preaching was authoritative. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. It came to pass that Jesus, at the end of these things, these sayings, people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one had authority and not as a scribe. See, see, friend, when you're, when you're preaching the word of God, you're not preaching the opinions of men. You're preaching the very word of God. This is what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord. What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 2 and 3, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach to you is Christ. What was his, what was his modus operandi? To go into the synagogues and to preach Christ to them. Oh, he, he wasn't popular. He wasn't liked. But he had authority. What he had authority? Why? Because the word of God is powerful. It's not the words of men. It's the words of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's proper for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That a man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. The silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. How wonderful it is to know the word of God and to tell others the word of God. Jeremiah 23, verse 29, he would write, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow, and is discerned of thoughts and tents of the heart. Here's Isaiah chapter 55 verse 10, As the rain cometh down the snow from heaven that returneth not, not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud that it give the seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Oh, dear friends, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. His preaching was authoritative. His preaching was amazing because it was not his words. It was God's words. All the word, all the herd were amazed and said, Is this not him that come destroyeth them that have called on his name in Jerusalem? 
See, it wasn't Paul's appearance. It was not his eloquence of speech. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, my speech and my preaching was not of enticing words of man's wisdom. It was not in the demonstration, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, friend, it's not us. It's Christ through us. It's God through us. It's God's power. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. If you surrender to do God's will, he will work in your life in ways that you cannot even comprehend or understand. There's been times when I'm talking to somebody about God and verses will come to my mind that I know I've studied in the past but I haven't studied recently and he will give me those words to say it to that person at the right time, at the right place and it will be him I know because it ain't me. Because I will lay down my keys right here and five minutes later I can't find them. How is it God brings back to me verses that I need in a time to help somebody through sal- to, for salvation or, or, or through going through a struggle? How does that happen? It's not Marty Moon, I can tell you. It's God. And when that's over with, what do I have to do? And say, oh, praise God for my intellect. No, 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 no. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his grace. And then, my friend, I'm going to tell you, he will do the same for you because you're simple a vessel. It's not about the vessel itself. It's being when we use, being willing to be used as a vessel that will glorify God. God's sovereign plan, Paul's strong preaching. How can we surrender or be molded by the solitary path? In the early days of the Christian life, Paul spent three-year season alone with God, apparently away from activity and ministry. We read in Galatians. We see, first of all, his, his sojourn in Arabia. We read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, When it pleased God, who separated from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I may preach unto him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He didn't go to Facebook. No, he went to God. Neither I went up Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. He spent time in Arabia in the desert with God. You know, the best thing to do to prepare yourself is spend time with God. Time with God is time well spent. Preparation is the key to everything in life. How did Paul prepare himself to be this great apostle? He was going to be used to write many of the, many of the books of the, of the Bible that we have, the New Testament. He prepared himself. He prepared himself. Some of you are going to school or getting ready to go to school to prepare yourself. Now, you know, many a person says, well, that, you know, that preparation time is not very important. Oh, is it very important? If somebody's getting ready to do surgery on my lungs, I want them to know they've done a few surgeries before. You was glad when they did surgery on you that, that you've had some folks in that room who've done surgery before, weren't you, brother? You were praising and thanking God exactly where, who you were with and what you were doing at the time. Are you thankful? When somebody's getting ready to work on your car, you hope they've worked on a car before. You don't, you don't put down education in those ways. You're glad for every, everything that they've done. Not every person has to go to college. I understand that. But I think every person ought to be prepared and Get prepared for what God wants them to do. Are you prepared for that? Are you preparing yourself for that, whatever God wants you to do? I read about this man by the name of Jim 
Olsowicz, who competed in the 1972 Olympic Games and coached the 2000-2004 U.S. Olympic men's professional road racing. He said, people don't know the process with athletes undertake in their individual sports to reach an Olympic le level. You get there, he says, by sticking it out. It's a, it's a word meaning grit. Not grit that you eat in the morning at breakfast. <laughs> not that type of grit. But not grits, but grit. I mean, when you don't want to go up in the, get up in the morning, but you really you go anyways, that's grit. When you got a headache, you don't feel good. But it really needs us. Something has to be done. And you're the only person to do it. You do it anyway because you don't. And it's not about your feeling. It's about the fact that it needs to be done. That's grit. When you hear the complaints, it's pressure time. And you don't want to, but you must have. That's grit. When you have a thousand reasons and a thousand one reasons why not to go in the next day or to quit because there's too much pressure and the boss is too temperamental and all the other reasons you still go in because it's grit. You know what Christians need? Grit. The day we, we, the day we live, everywhere I go says we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring because we have a generation of folks, unfortunately, and it's not, just, it's not just young people, sometimes 20 and 30s, that have lost, lost the importance of grit. What, what would have happened to World War II if we didn't have men and women with grit? Those pictures that we saw would not be possible. They didn't have grit. Oh, he stuck it out. He did right. He kept going. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, that there's something greater for us if we stick in the fight. Oh, the depths, the riches, both the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment, his ways past finding out. We can trust him. Even when things don't go the way we think they should go, we have to trust him in believing we're in his will. And we're not always going to understand it. Because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts. Your thoughts. You don't have to figure out God. You simply just have to trust what he wants you to do. And every person who serves God, there's going to be times in your life where you want to quit. You want to give up. You want to throw in the towel. And at that moment, it's when you need to trust God and know his calling is from God alone and do it anyway. He sojourned in Arabia and he serviced God. He served God in Damascus. Why? Because ultimately he could speak to a man by the name of Agrippa. Acts chapter 26, verse 9 and 19 to 20. Oh, Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He could have been disobedient. He could have heard the words of God and said, No, many a person, I say probably most person, has been called of God to be saved, and they said no. He said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them in Damascus and Jerusalem through all the coasts of Judea. And then the Gentiles, they should repent and turn to God and do the works meet for repentance. He went from preaching on the streets of Damascus ultimately to King Agrippa. And God will you, you, use you if you'll surrender yourself in ways that you'll pass to you what you can even understand or fathom. But it starts by saying, yes, I'm building, I'll, I'll, build, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Yes, I'll be, I'll be that Sunday school teacher. Yes, I'll go out on visitation. Yes, I'll help a friend who needs help. Yes, I will cut the grass on a warm summer day in Florida. Yes, I'll do it. 
yes. Why? Because it's about a relationship. And as you say yes to God and surrender to God, you will get more of him. And you'll be able to share more of him. And that relationship will grow. I'm going to read all about it in John chapter 15, verse 1. I'm the, I'm the true vine, and my father is the husband. Every branch that is me beareth not fruit. He taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. It may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are the clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and, and, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And you recognize that it's all God. There's been a many a time standing behind a pulpit or serving God that I knew there's no way I can do this today. There's no way I can do this today. And that's exactly when I call on God, and he's always faithful to take care of it. And dear friend, I can tell you, 30, almost 34 years of serving Jesus Christ, he will do the same for you. Call on him. Ask him to help you especially in those times where you know you can't, it's when you can't, he will. He'll do abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, above all you ask or think, will you call on him and ask him to do it? Are you saved today? Say, preacher, I'm saved. Well, secondly, are you serving God today? Are you serving? Have you surrendered yourself to him? You said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. There's an old hymn that basically sums us all up. It's called, It's All in Your Altar. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest. As you yield him your body and soul. Is your all on the altar. Part of it? No. You won't have peace and sweet rest. But if you give it all to him. You lay it all on the altar. I promise you. I promise you by the authority of the word of God. You will be glad that you did. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace and your